Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the dean and founder of DirectionsUniversity.com, the co-founder of Divisio.com, D-U-V-I-S-I-O, and the co-founder of TheLeverages.com. We have got a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have my co-host, the Associate Dean of Directions University, Jack Humphrey, joining me, my all-around partner in crime and all the other ventures that I'm a part of. And hello, Jack. Hello, how are you today? I am awesome, and you? Good. I bet our weather is not as good as yours in sunny Florida. We're just kind of in that dark you know what indiana's like this time of year right we're not going to see the sun until the spring but we're also not going to see snow <laughs> exactly i definitely know what it is like in indiana at this time of the year and you'll be pleased to know that when i woke up this morning it was a balmy 78 degrees here in southwest florida oh i'm so mad about that that's just not fair I figured you were. (laughs) Well, we have got an awesome guest for everyone today. This is a gentleman that I had the privilege of meeting, oh gosh, I don't even know how long ago it was, at least four or five years ago at a SANG event out in L.A. So I will let you tell our audience all about our guest today, Jack. I will. His name is Spike Humor, and he is widely recognized as a thought leader, world-renowned expert in leading and inspiring companies, organizations, and individuals to achieve more, have more, and be more. He's been called the internet. Uh, he's been called the mentor's mentor, and is highly regarded as a master marketing strategist and performance acceleration expert. Spike serves as a trusted advisor and performance consultant to entrepreneurs and individuals from virtually every walk of life in countless industries. Currently, he's uh, spending his time, attention, and passion, and it's being directed toward uh, his soon-to-be-released book, The Book of the Soul, How to Discover and Reconnect with Your Authentic Self. Spike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Gina. So we start you off like we start everybody off. What's getting you out of bed? I mean, I know we talked about the, the book there just for a second. We'll get to talk about that a little bit more. But what's the most exciting thing that gets you out of bed these days? Well, Jack, you know, it's a great question. Thank you. I mean, you know, there, there are many things these days. I guess, you know, I, where I'm at really in my life, in my career, the thing that probably excites me the most is that for the last uh, 35 or 40 years, I guess, you know, I've been putting myself in a position really where I could focus my time and my energy on the things that uh, I enjoy the most, uh, the things that I think have the biggest impact in terms of, who I want to be and where I want to go, but also 
being able to impact the people um, that I enjoy being with and being able to do things that really help them create not only a business but also to create a lifestyle that has meaning and has purpose and really uh, allows them to, as you said in the introduction, to be more, do more, and, and have more. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, reading more on your uh, bio uh, when people uh, check you out, you know, it's all a lot of, like, huge, huge history and business and um, mentoring, consulting. Um, and it's something that it seems like sort of a, a trend in the last five, ten years, at least that I have noticed, is um, is people like you writing books like How to Rediscover and Reconnect with Your Authentic Self. How in the world, I mean, we know the answer to this, but I'm fascinated. I think other people are too. And, and that, that has become so important. And you'll remember, I'm sure, when nobody really talked that much about that stuff. If it was business, we talked about business. And this is how you get it. Here's how you kill it. Here's how you grind and hustle and get, you know, those dollars in the door, those clients in the door. But at some point it changed, and guys like you are writing really important books like this. How do you – why is that so important to you? Well, I think today there's more opportunities that exist probably than just about any time in human history. And it's not that opportunities didn't exist before, but I think the platforms that allow you to leverage your time and your talent, your thoughts, your ideas, your vision, your values, and the things that are important to you I think exist today that – perhaps didn't exist 25 or 30 years ago. I mean, you know, look at the fact that you're able to do a blog talk radio station. If you go back 30 or 40 years ago, I mean, the bottom line is you wouldn't have a radio program. You either had to have a radio station or you had to be invited to, to have yeah. a program. And there was a limited number of choices. But today we have not only unlimited choices in terms of where we spend our time and our talent and where we spend our energy, we also have almost unlimited ways to meet people and to be able to create value and deliver value to people in ways that didn't exist 25 or 30 years ago. So would you say that that's given us the ability to kind of not sit back and, and, and but, you know, as we've, we, we developed agriculture and that gave us the ability to kind of calm down a little bit about the hunter gatherer stuff and mm -hmm. we could think more and our brains got bigger and, and, and you go all the way through to now we've given ourselves technology boosts and everything else and, and quality of life and what you do because there's so much opportunity seems to be the big thing that we can we now have the luxury of thinking about with all with a plethora of opportunities married with that is is that why we have the luxury of being able to talk about um you know doing things that we want to do as opposed to just the few choices of what we had to do to make a living before well jack you know i think that's part of the equation candidly i mean you know the, the, you know the opportunity is, is that we have almost unlimited choices in terms of where we um, spend our time and where we put our focus. The challenge that we have is that we have almost unlimited opportunities in terms of where we spend our time and where we put our yeah. focus. And I think one of the, one of the opportunities that exists for people like me and perhaps you and, and Gina as well is that because people have so many choices, sometimes it's very very difficult to discriminate um, positively in terms of where you apply your time. And and I think that really where that's really where it comes down as part of the premise of the book. And that is. You know, when you understand what it is that's most important to you, it allows you to make better choices about where you spend your time, not only in terms of what you do, but who you spend your time with and who you um, do business with and who you do business for. And so to me, you know, it's, it's, you know there's a great opportunity here to, you know, to make those choices, but, but the challenge in, term in, 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 in determining where we spend the choices and how we do those things to make sure that we're getting the rewards and the results that are necessary in order for us to, to have the impact, have the lifestyle, and to be able to make the contribution that we want – I think is, is the great challenge of the of the 21st century and probably beyond. 
It really, I mean, I remember sitting in the Warrior Forum in, in 2000, in 1998, uh, wishing with everyone else, with Alan Says and everybody else, uh, uh, that we had more ability to reach people who were on the Internet. You know, back then we were still having people fill out checks and mail them to us from our website because there was no payment processing. And there was that. There was no social media. We didn't know about social media. We weren't trying to invent it. We just were lamenting the fact that we had some, some bulletin boards and some, uh, you know, choice few other places that we could ever market ourselves in this weird thing called a search engine, which hasn't, the search engines hadn't really even gotten developed yet. And, and now it's completely the opposite. We have all the choices in the world. We have a million different social sites we can be on. We have a ton of different places that we can go and put our focus. And I agree with you that I've seen with my clients that, that you know, they, they come in and they are just frazzled. They're trying to be all things. They're worried because they don't know where to go. They're trying to be everywhere. And, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty damaging to their business to be that way. How do you, how do you get people to, to do this focus thing? In, in, a, well, in a world that's just a cornucopia of choices. Well, and, and I, think, I think, as I mentioned, I think it's the great challenge that we have. And, and one of the opportunities that we have, I believe, is to be really, really clear, right? You know, I think, you know, confidence comes from clarity. And, and clarity comes from really understanding what it is that, that allows you to make a decision, right? I mean, what is the criteria that you use in terms of where you spend your time? I mean, the bottom line is we all have 168 hours in a given week. How we spend our time is really a reflection of how we value ourselves. And that value comes to how well do we know what's important to us? How do we know what it is that gives us the juice and the jazz, as, as you mentioned, gets us up in the morning? And, and, you know, the question that I ask people very often is that, you know, do you feel that when you, when you end your day that you, that you had a greater impact than you intended when you got out of bed? And if the answer is yes, keep doing what you're doing. If the answer is no, maybe you want to reevaluate really where you're spending your time. I mean, people talk about the fact that, hey, you know what, I just don't have time. Well, everybody has the same, the same amount of time, as I mentioned, so it's not really a question of time. It's a question of how we make the choices, right? You know, no one can make time, but you can make choices about what it is that's important to you, what it is that you do that allows you to say, you know what, I'm doing the best that I can to, to serve my audience, to serve my, my market, to serve my clients, to serve my family, to serve myself, to serve my fans, my, my family, to serve my, my community. And, and, and if you're doing the things that are necessary that allow you to have more leverage, as you talk about on your show and as you talk, in, talk about in your book, if you're doing the things that allow you to have a greater impact in the same or less time or having a greater impact with the same amount of effort or less effort, then you're really on the right track. And, and if you're not doing those things and if you feel that at the end of the day you're more exhausted and you're more worn out by the things that you did as opposed to having the, the, the joy and the jazz and the juice that really allows you to say, you know what, when I go to bed tonight – I'm excited to get some sleep, but I'm also excited to get up tomorrow morning so that I can go on about this venture and to continue to do the things that I'm doing. Awesome. I, I have a little bit of a, a – a, I had some time to switch direction in what kind of high-end clients that I was attracting and the kind of work that I wanted to do with them. And that's kind of rare because you get on, a, you get on a, a, a trajectory and sometimes that can last a decade, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah, good. And absolutely. you like what you're doing and, you, you, you know. But I had the opportunity to do that fairly recently, and I went back to something that I thought I had put behind me. I thought that I didn't like for certain reasons, you know. Uh, and it turned out that I only liked, I disliked certain parts of how I was performing that consulting and that service. 
but I didn't like dislike the whole thing. I had thrown the whole thing out. So I found myself ironically going back to something that I used to do back in the aughts, early aughts. Um, but I changed the way I did it. And had I not faced up to that and just thrown the baby out with the bathwater, I wouldn't be doing stuff with clients that I'm doing right now. And I wondered what your feedback would be on things that people – when you're trying to choose what to focus on, how to focus and provide, but get fulfillment out of something, I almost miss that. And, and I'm sure. very happy where I am right now, but I, I thought, nah, that's behind me. I need to expand and grow. And I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. If I hadn't taken that second and third look at it, I wouldn't be where I am today. Can you talk to that? Right. Sure, absolutely, Jack. I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny because um, years ago I used to do turnarounds for companies, not you know, not large corporations, not like GM or any of the auto industries or anything like that, but but for the most part, you know, small to mid-sized organizations. You know, in some cases they were public, some cases they were private companies, and it was always one of those things where you got the you know the call where it's like, oh my God, I just don't know what else to do, right? You know, like someone was so far up against the wall that they got to the point where they had no choice but to to take some dramatic action. So I was one of the guys that would come in and. And, uh, you know, basically trying to get an assessment done and trying to figure out what the heck was going on in the business and then try to, you know, plow through all the crap and plow through all the chaos and try to come up to see if there was actually, you know, you know, if there was a pony at this pile of poop you know, to make sure that, you know, there was yeah. something worth going on in the business. And, you know, and while it was rewarding, you know, in some cases financially, it was rewarding in the sense that if you were successful, you know, you had a sense of satisfaction, but it was also exhausting in the, from the standpoint that, you know, you were continually fighting with creditors and attorneys and, you know, and it was just, it was just, you know, a, a grind, you know, but, but it gave you this, this adrenaline rush, you know, that just, you know, every day you got up, you were so amped up, you were so wired up, you just went in and you, and you went about the fight and you just, and you just uh, carried on. And, and, you know, it's very easy to get addicted to that rush, but I, I figured out about, about 10 or 12 years ago that, you know, I could take some of those same skills that I had developed in doing that and not have to go through all the chaos, right? So instead of, you know, going into a situation where a company was forced to change, you know, to really sit down and work with people that had the opportunity to change and really recognize that while they were doing okay, there was opportunities for them to do better. So we could take a lot of the same tools and a lot of the same skill sets that I had in terms of doing turnarounds with companies that were really distressed, and I could take a lot of those tools and a lot of those skills, and I could actually work with somebody who really wanted to get more, do more, and be more. And, 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 and Jack, really what it allowed me to do is really, really narrow down that, you know, I, obviously I want to be challenged. Obviously I want to have an opportunity where I can contribute. But there were also some things that were really, really important to me. Like, for instance, I didn't want to be working with corporate boards. I wanted to be working with the owner-operator. I wanted to be working, working with an entrepreneurial-based business owner. I wanted to work with somebody who was actually committed and had probably the biggest and, and, and most significant stake in the success of that company because they were the most motivated to take action. So really I narrowed the criteria down in terms of the businesses that I work with down to three things. Number one, I want to do some good. Number two, I want to have some fun, which means I want to enjoy the people that I work with. And number three, I want to make some money, right? And so, so to me, if I have those three criteria where I know that I'm having a positive impact on the people that I'm working with and we're having a, a positive impact together and we have a collaboration, you know, that's one of the criteria. Number two, if, if I know that when I go to meet that person, I'm actually looking forward to it as opposed to dreading it, and I'm looking forward to the things that we're going to be doing together as opposed to wanting to avoid it or coming up with reasons why, you know, I just don't want to continue to do that, chances are, you know, it's somebody that I want to work with. And number three, if we have the opportunity to have some degree of success, and it's not just about how much money we can make, but obviously if you're in business, you have to have the ability to make some form of a profit, otherwise you don't exist. You know, years ago, Jack, I used to work with not-for-profits as well. I used to do a lot of volunteer work for not-for-profits, and sometimes 
those companies would say, well, you know what, we're not really worried about money because we're a not-for-profit. And I would say to people, well, look, if there is no profit, there is no mission. Right? And if you don't have the ability to fund your activities and to fund your business, I don't care how committed you are. The bottom line is, unless you're independently wealthy or you have an unlimited source of income, at some point in time, you're going to have to make decisions that are related to the business that allow you to return a profit so that you can continue to go on and have the impact to serve the people that are most important to you. Yeah. Awesome answer. I, that's what I thought was going to – I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew it would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I want to well, switch you. tracks a little bit and ask you something about your, uh, uh, leverage, uh, mm-hmm. just being leverage masters and all. But what are mm-hmm. some of your uh, – some of or maybe your most favorite leverage play or strategy or tactic to work on with a, with a client? What, what's, the, what's your go-to stuff that you – I mean, I know that's a hard thing. It depends on the client and all sure, that kind of sure. thing. But you can just pick whatever you would like and, and tell us about your favorite leverage plays. Well, you know, Jack, I mean, you know, kind of ties into some of the things we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, it really comes down to making sure that you're really, really clear about um, the people that are going to value uh, and benefit most from whatever the product, service, or interaction that you have. You know, if, if, if you're going out and you're trying to appease everyone, you're trying to reach everyone, you know, trying to appeal to everyone, basically what happens is you get so – diluted in the masses that people can't separate you from, you know, from a commodity. And what happens eventually, you know, if, if, you, if you try to compete, compete as a commodity, you try to compete simply on price, someone like Walmart or Amazon will come along and eat your lunch. So really what you have to do mm-hmm. is you have to be strategic uh, about who it is that you're working with, who it is you're trying to serve, and making sure that you have the ability to articulate on a high level the value proposition or the benefit that you bring to that business or bring to that person. And, and to, the degree, to the degree that you can identify who they are, what's important to them, how your product or service or whatever it is that you do in business fits into either helping them solve a problem or, or advance their goals or receive the benefit that they're looking for, you know, that's really where the leverage comes from. You know, it, you know, I, you know we used to talk a lot about mass marketing, and, you know, then you got into niche marketing, and then you got into, um, you know, micro niche marketing, and now it's, it's almost like nano niches, right? You know, there's a, there's a friend yeah. of mine, a colleague of mine, who was the first person that I ever heard coin it, and I'm sure, you know, other people have used it as well. But, you know, he talks about, you know, years ago people used to be successful by, you know, being a quarter inch deep and a mile wide. And, and his name's Alex Mendozian. And one of the things that Alex mentioned uh, in a conversation we were having probably 10 or 12 years ago, he said, you know, it's really about being a quarter inch wide and a mile deep. And the deeper that you can go in a relationship with the people that you're trying to uh, provide value or provide service to, the deeper you can go in that relationship, the greater the opportunity that you have to serve that person over time. You know, uh, Jay Abraham, who's, who's been one of my clients and, and one of my colleagues for a long period of time, used to talk about the three ways to grow a business, right? You know, you basically, what you do, you get more customers, you get them to buy, um, you get them to buy more frequently, or you get them to buy larger amounts. Well, the two aspects that go along to that, that very few people talk about, and I think they're probably just as critical you know, as, as the original three. And number one is that you get people to buy sooner, right? You get people to engage in the transaction sooner. And how you do that, you appeal to their interest and you earn their trust so that you, you speed up the buying cycle. But probably more importantly than that, or just as importantly as any of the, the preceding four, is getting people to buy longer, right? If you can get people to engage your services over a longer period of time, or you can get them to, to do transactions with you for a longer period of time, you can take more of your time um, that you're normally spending on going out and trying to find a new customer or a new client or trying to go out and you know, find somebody else who's going to pay attention to your offer. Really what you can do, you can put more time into product development or service development or providing additional value to those people that already know you, already trust you, and already have a relationship with you on a commercial basis. And if you, and if you have the ability to really identify the people that have the highest probability 
of, of, of doing business with you and have the highest probability of doing business with you over time, you can be much more successful than if you're just going out trying to get a new customer every single day or every single week. I mean, not to mention the stress levels in your life, your cortisol levals and everything else are going to go yeah, right absolutely. through the floor in a situation like that compared to mm-hmm. having to always be hustling. And I, I've noticed that as my generation of Internet marketers has gotten older, it's become increasingly every year more important for that stability to be there. To be, to, and, and those are some of the biggest questions everybody asks is, is related to things like you just mentioned, that are going to provide that stability and that ongoing uh, 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 revenue that doesn't have to be chased all the time. Because we all just, you know, I don't know how long you lasted with burning candles at both ends and everything else, but it all comes to an end for everyone at some point. you you yeah, got to yeah. start working smarter at some point. And, and for a lot of us, that happens you know, right around 2009 and 10, and uh, <laughs> we started having to look for other things, other strategy, sure. other ways to use leverage very, very smartly so that we, you know, weren't wasting anymore because we, mm-hmm. we could make up for our lack of experience and energy, and we would just make sure. a million mistakes an hour, and, <laughs> and, you know, and now you can't do that. I mean, at some point right. you've got to say, ooh, yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, you know, Jack, you know, there's an old saying that it's better to be, you know, prolific than just, you know, proficient. But but also there's a big difference between being prolific and being promiscuous, right? You know, and I think one of the things that most people learned, you know, when they went through some of these, um, you know, curves in the past is that it's not just about being active. It's not just about, you know, trying a bunch of things. You know, it's about being strategic, as you talk about in your show and as you guys talk about in the book, you know, and being able to really understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish and making sure that the activities that you're, that you're engaging in are actually moving that forward. You know, and, and, and the bottom line is, Jack, I mean, you know, you know, there, there, you know, there, there are opportunities that are going to exist today that, you know, that didn't exist before, but there's going to be opportunities that exist tomorrow that don't exist today. And, and our ability to be agile and be flexible and be adaptable, but also to be acutely aware of what it is that we're trying to do so that we can make the, the micro adjustments along the way or the things that allow us to, you know, to keep away from situations like we had in 2008, 2009, 2010 when the economy went sideways, right? Had we been making some of those small changes along the way, we would, never would have gotten so off course, you know, financially, economically, mm. and, and, and in other ways, we would never have gotten off course so far that we had to make such dramatic actions. And I think the people that I know that were most successful in weathering those storms were people that were making those micro-adjustments along the way so that when the economy started going sideways, they weren't so... Um, so geared simply towards one activity or one business model or one structure or strategy that when the economy went sideways, the entire business went sideways. There were a lot of people that made a lot of money and had a lot of success in those very, very difficult times. And a lot of it came down to the fact that they were adaptable, they were adjustable, and they were flexible in the sense that they were able to you know, be, be very, very responsive to what was going on in the market and to make those changes when they, when they wanted to and when they planned to as opposed to when they were forced to. Yeah. You, you mentioned on your site something uh, about creating quantum leaps in mm-hmm. profitability and business performance, and that sounds an awful lot like leverage to me. And it also sounds like, given what you've said, you, you obviously don't mean to teach people how to be more productive and work harder. I don't think that's what no. you mean when, you, when you're talking about giving people quantum leaps in profitability, but <laughs> can you explain a little bit more, or maybe through story, sure. uh, any, any companies or individuals that you've worked with that give us an example of what a quantum leap and why we should be looking for that 
Because I think a lot of people aren't looking for that. They're looking for, they're, they're looking for your entry-level type course that teaches you how to do business and that teaches you how to walk up the ladder every single rung at a time without skipping any. And then sure. those people aren't looking for quantum leaps, and those quantum leaps are just passing them by, and they don't even know to recognize them because they're not looking for them. How do you right. get people to look for that as, a stra- as part of their strategy rather than, well, if I get lucky, it might happen? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, there there are a number of ways. I mean, you know, one is is you know, you sit down and, and and you take the time periodically, whether it's once a week or once a month, once a quarter. You know, you sit down and you say, okay, you know, what is it that you know I'm trying to do with my business, and then you know, and then just kind of blue sky it for a bit. You know, saying, okay, what is it that if I if 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 I had this one thing, or if I could do this one thing, or if this one thing happened in my environment, in my business, in my in my industry, or whatever. They would make all the difference to my life and business. And just being able to identify some of those things allow you to kind of focus your energy on it. But, you know, simply put, I mean, there's really two, two things that I, that I look at doing um, with, with businesses and business owners when I first start working with them. You know, in addition to trying to get, make sure that they're clear about, you know, who they are, what they want from their business, and how their business can serve them, and who it is that their business is going to serve. You know, those, those things are kind of just, you know, clarity issues about just trying to understand your business and what's important to you. But there are also a couple of things that become very, very important to, you know, to moving forward to, um, you know, to really making sure that you're getting progress and making sure that you're having an impact and being able to do it on a fairly rapid basis, right? I mean, you know, people have short attention spans and have short memories, right? And if they don't make progress relatively quickly, they can either, they can either get seduced or diverted by another opportunity or they get steered off course by the distraction diversions they come up with over the course of the day, and they never really, you know, start to make pronounced impact on their business. So there are a couple things. Number one, you know, look for, you know, the, the quantum leap, and that, you know, that's really the exponential impact. But number two, don't ignore the incremental improvements that you can make on an ongoing basis because sometimes it's the small changes that you can make that allow you to create the time, the space, the money, the money, the resource, or develop the relationships that allow your business to improve over time. You know, sometimes, Jack, what happens is that people spend too much time looking for the big win that they overlook the, the small wins. And sometimes those small wins can be accelerators towards the big wins because it gives you more um, opportunity and more resource to try to leverage those things. But the other thing is, is that, you know, and this may seem overly simplistic, but I promise you it's one of the most effective things that I've ever used and one of the most effective things that I've ever worked with with my clients, and that is trying to identify the things that you do that either have no impact, little impact, or a negative impact on your day, on your business, and on your life, right? You know, if there's certain things that we yeah. do, you know, in life and in business, and they become conditioned habits, and, and they also become unconscious behaviors, unconscious activities, you know, and sometimes what happens if we don't take the time to step back and say, okay, let me really evaluate everything that I do and really look at all the things that I do and say, okay, what things are getting in the way for me doing the things that I do best, right? You know, there, there, you know, there's a concept of highest and best use. I mean, people talk about it in real estate. But being able to understand the concept of highest and best use when it comes to making sure that the things that you do are having a great impact on your business, making sure that the things that you're, that you're, that you're doing that you're, that you're reasonably proficient at and hopefully an expert at, right? And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a small business owner and you're trying to become an accountant because you don't want to have a bookkeeper do your books, you know, that probably isn't the best use of your time if you're a marketer, if you're a speaker, if you're, if you're somebody who really drives the other aspects of your business. But also think about the things that you're most passionate about in your business because if you can be excited about what it is that you do, you know, it allows you to have more energy and more, more jazz and more juice, as we talked about, that allows you to, to exceed, right? So, so think about everything you do as a business owner, right? What is it that you do the best? What is it that has the biggest impact in your business? And number three, what is it that you're most passionate about? And if you can focus your time and energy on those things first and reduce, eliminate, uh, delegate, defer, or eliminate the things 
that you're doing that aren't part of those three criteria, it allows you really to have quantum improvements in your business, quantum improvements in your life, and quantum leaps in terms of how it is that you, that you spend your time and your talent and your energies and the things that you as a business owner or you as a business leader or you as an entrepreneur that, that really gives you the impact that you not only that you want but also that you deserve. So I have a background in tracking, uh, wildlife tracking and, and uh, teaching people. We call them city slickers from L.A. and New York who would come to the southwest uh, and Arizona, Mexico, northern Sonora and Chihuahua and, and New, New Mexico. And we'd take them out and show them where the future uh, wolf reintroduction program was going to be, teach them how to howl for wolves, teach them how to track sign bear and mountain lion and you know, when we come up upon a deer kill, you know, who killed it, first of all, and then backtrack the whole hunt to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. how I came online. I, I didn't have any experience when, you know, any more experience than anybody else did with the Internet when they started. And uh, there were guys who were kind of geeky, who were going at how they were tracking down success for themselves and other people to reverse engineer it from a statistical data analysis kind of thing. And I, of course, couldn't do that. That wasn't my background or training. So I approached it from the only thing that I knew. I was like, all right, here's a website. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a, uh, an owner of a business who's really successful. That's the deer kill. That's the success, right? The, the, the mountain lion got the deer. And then I would just backtrack what what the heck happened to lead to that? And I was surprised to find that nobody else that I could find was even doing it that way. They were really tackling the data and the, you know, they weren't really looking at like what was happening on the trail that led up to that. So, you know, that's kind of where I, I, I try to talk to clients in a way where I can turn them into hunters a little bit and, and, and start looking for sign. Like one of the things that was really fun to do was seeing some sign on the trail and walking by it without making a big deal just to see if anybody behind me who were following me would see it you know like a little tiny hair in a piece of bark on a a ponderosa pine that was uh from a bear that had come by Mm -hmm. and scratched his back on it that nobody would see if they weren't looking all those opportunities you know and so i took all of that and translated into my you know consulting examples and and uh how do you what do you feel about that in the first place? Like, is that something that you, you try to get clients to do to think about when they're thinking about their business and leverage and looking for opportunities? Because <laughs> if they don't have the ability to hunt and look and see and observe everything around them, you're going to send them off with a lot of good personal tactics. And, and, but they're too, to me, they're looking inward too much, and they're not being too much as, as aware of their surroundings as they should. Does that make sense in, in how you yeah, teach? Amazing. Yeah, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. In fact, in fact, it's, it's a brilliant distinction. You know, Tony Robbins talks about success leaves clues, and you know, with all due respect to you know to Tony Robbins, everything leaves clues, right? You know, but the, but the you know mm-hmm. the, the question is, you know, do we have the awareness? Do we have the sensory acuity? Do we have the ability to pay attention to the things that are most important and ignore the things that aren't necessarily relevant or that aren't necessarily as important, right? And you know, and and as a tracker, right? You know, you see all of the things that everyone else sees, but you also see the subtle things that most people overlook as they're walking through the woods, as they're walking through the mountains, as they're walking through the desert. And being able to get a business owner really to pay attention to things that they may be seeing every single day, but not being able to really make the distinction because they see so many things that they may not be able to have the ability to, to focus on what it is most important. Look, I, I, have, I have a true confession. Right? You know, I think I'm pretty doggone good at what I do. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've had a lot of success with a lot of people, and I've helped a lot of people, I think, get really, really good results. 
But the bottom line is I'm probably not that much smarter than anybody else, but I do have an advantage that most people in business don't have, and that is I'm not working in their business, right? So I have the ability to step in and see things from a different perspective because I don't have to pay attention to every single thing that's going on in that business all day long. So what, what that allows me to do, just as you as a tracker can go in and say, you know what, I see all these things that are out here, but let me pay attention, let me focus on the things that either are just a little bit askew or that indicates that there's something going on here that, that most people might not be able to see or might not be able to pay attention to. And by being able to pay attention to those cues or those clues, you have the ability to start making different distinctions and make different decisions and make different judgments about what's going on in that environment. And business is absolutely no different. So I think it's a brilliant dis- 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 distinction. Yeah, and, and, and you've probably watched as a proud papa when, you've, when you feel like they, uh, someone has, has really – You've turned them in, or helped them become, not turned them in yourself, but helped them become more of that kind of a, a seeker. You know, somebody with bigger mm-hmm. eyes, they can see at night better. They got better night vision in their business that they can. Because a lot of times the the work that people are doing is the work that will get you there. You know, the, the, if you have to write down a plan, right? You you say, mm-hmm. well, in nine months I want to be doing this, and then in, and in five years and three years, you know. Well, you got to write something down, and then you got to write to the best of your ability the plan that you think is going to get you there. And then I see people who like really, really, really follow the plan and never look up, never look to the side, <laughs> never, you know. <laughs> and then, and then they get what they want. It takes five years to get where they wanted sure. to go if they got there at all, because they went exactly by that plan. And this idea is kind of like, you know, you can have all the plans you want, but opportunity is going to select you at certain times, but it's only going to lightly tap on your shoulder. It's not going to make a big circus out of it. And if you don't pick up on it, it goes to the next person. So do yep. you feel like that too? I imagine when uh, people are, they get in that zone and you're like, Ooh, they're hunting now. They're doing it. And there's something's <laughs> right. going to happen. It's great that they have their plan, but I bet you something really cool is going to happen way before that. That's going to be a really big leverage point in their business. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny. You know, I, I mentioned about, you know, when I used to do turnarounds, you know, and <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, you know, I, you know, I actually wrote a book about this uh, about six or seven years ago, and it was based on what I was doing with turnarounds when I made the when I made the shift from working with distressed businesses to working with businesses that really wanted to accelerate. And and when when you're doing turnarounds, you know, and, and this isn't, you know, this probably isn't uncommon. You know, when you go in, I mean, generally things are pretty desperate, right? You have to you have to make some decisions, make some distinctions, you know, and take some action in a relatively short period of time because you generally don't have a long operating horizon, right? So, you know, when I would go into a business, you know, generally what we would do is that we would take the first, you know, week or 10 days, you know, trying to figure out what the heck was going on in the business so that we didn't start just, you know, shotgunning things and, some, you know, in some cases taking actions that made situations worse. So, you know, we, we would figure out what the heck was going on in, in 10 days, and by that time we would come up with some kind of a plan and we would start getting some things done, and then we'd figure out, okay, are we making progress or not? Well, I, I, coined, I coined the acronym ASIA, A-S-I-A, right? And, and the process was that you would go in and you would do an assessment, right? That was the first day. And then from that assessment, you would figure out where a business was versus where they wanted to go, and you would assess the gaps that existed between the two. Then the next thing you do is you, you start to formulate a strategy, right, which was to, to bridge the gaps between where they are and where they wanted to be. But, you know, having a, a strategy without taking action or without getting things done, you know, it, you know, it's great to know what you need to do, but if you don't get it done, you don't get any results. So the next thing was to really come up with the tactical implementation, right, which is the I in the Asia model, right? What, what, what steps and what actions and what activities are you going to implement that are going to make 
a difference in the business. But, but here, here's the distinction that, that, you, that you land on. I think this is the one that most people miss. And that is, you know, it's great to, to make a change. But if you're not having the ability to make adjustments as new opportunities come up or new challenges come up, that's what happens. And that's how businesses get into trouble. And it doesn't mean, you know, that they're in a turnaround situation. But getting into trouble may mean not, not taking advantage of opportunities when they appear because you're not having the ability to measure your progress and measuring what it is that's most important to you and what it is that you should be performing against, right? So going into a business and really helping people identify things is part of the process, but helping them really have, have uh, an understanding of how they keep score, right? How do, they, how do they measure their progress to make sure that that progress continues and to make sure that they have the ability to evaluate a new opportunity versus an existing opportunity or a past opportunity is part of what allows businesses not only to get on track but to stay on track and what allows businesses not only to have incremental improvement but eventually have exponential improvements where they really have those quantum leaps in their performance. Yeah. What, what, what role does creativity play in your, in your work with people when you're going through these kinds of planning uh, you know, exercises and and things. In terms of the, the web is so malleable and it's so changing. And it, you know, if you try to squeeze it, it gets through your fingers like sand. You can never mm-hmm. really. And that's a beautiful thing. It's it's very disheartening for people who want things to be totally static, um, who sure. come from a world where everything the walls are solid and everything. That's just not the internet. But does you know a lot of people thrive on that though more creative people than business people that I've experienced. But do you try to inject any of the uh, the idea that hey you guys there's moving targets out there all the time. Pay attention to current news. Pay attention to um, ways that you can get a bigger stepping stone in the direction that you want to go. How does that apply in, in the way that you work with people? Well, you know, it, it, it's core, you know, and, and, and sometimes I'll use the term uh, creativity, you know, or, or sometimes I'll use other terms because, you know, sometimes, you know, in business, and I think this is less so, I think people are, are much more um, adaptable and probably more open-minded as they get exposed to uh, more information and, and, and more diversity in life and business. But, you know, it used to be years ago when you said, hey, you know what, uh, this person's creative. It meant you were kind of artsy-fartsy and you really didn't understand business, right? But creativity you mm-hmm. know, is, is nothing more than flexibility or adaptability. And if you don't have the ability to be flexible or to adapt, you know, you're bound for extinction. But but also, I mean, you know, and I'll, I'll give you an example that goes back, you know, 100 years almost. You know, it goes back probably 80 or 90 years. You know, Henry Ford, you know, didn't invent the assembly line. Right? He really, truly didn't, you know, and I'm not sure who, 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 who um, invented it, but, but Henry Ford, when he, when he wanted to start building automobiles, right, what he did, is he didn't study the, the auto industry because it didn't exist, right? What he did is that he studied the slaughter industry, right? And the reason why he st- studied the slaughter industry is because if you looked at how they slaughtered beef at the time, basically what they, what they were doing is disassembling beef. They were disassembling cows, right? They were disassembling bulls. So what Henry Ford did is that he took something that existed in a, in a long-standing industry, the slaughter industry, and he said, you know what, how can I apply this to manufacturing? So what he did is that he reverse-engineered what was going on in the beef industry, and he put it into the auto industry, and what he did is that he started assembling cars, which was the exact mirror image opposite, or mirror image reverse, of what existed in a different industry. Now, that was not necessarily creativity in terms of what was actually being done, but it was, create, it was creative in the sense that he was able to take something that existed successfully somewhere else and apply it in a new way, right? You know, the, the distinction between, between um, you, know, you know, efficiency and, and, 
and innovation is this, right? Efficiency is taking something that, that already exists and making it a little bit better. And it's certainly important, right? I mean, you know, incremental improvement is important. But, but at the same time, innovation comes from taking something and doing something in a new way, right? Now, it may or may not exist in your industry. It may or may not exist in your market. It may or may not exist in your business. But being able to take something that you're not doing currently and either adapt it from somewhere else or apply it in a different way is really where you, where you make those, those quantum leaps, where you make those, those giant uh, improvements. And, and being able to have that ability to, to see creatively or to creatively apply things in your business that didn't exist before, that's the difference in many cases between being successful and becoming extinct. Is this part of your strategy for significance then? Well, absolutely, it is. I mean, you know, and it's kind of at its core purpose. The strategy of significance, you know, really comes down to this. You know, if if you, if you have the ability to have the greatest impact uh, on the people that are most important to you in the ways that are most meaningful to you and to the people that you're that you're interacting with, you have the ability to be not only significant uh, in the in the in the in the eyes and the hearts of your market and your customers and your clients, your employees, but also you have the ability to to have the greatest impact for your life and for your business. You know, one, one of the greatest, I guess, tragedies that I see in business is sometimes people go into business for themselves because they want to have more freedom. They want to have more flexibility. They want to have the ability to have greater rewards for the risk that they take. But what happens is sometimes people become servants to their business as opposed to having a business that serves them. So to me, you know, in order to really have a significant business, you have to be able to have something that allows you to have a significant life. You know, and, and if you have the ability to make those adjustments and, and to be creative in terms of how you approach, um, you know, your market or how you approach offering a product or service or how you're being creative in terms of how you do business or where you do business or when you do business, as long as that serves you on a core, on a core value level and as long as it serves your marketplace in a way that allows them to, to see that there's a distinction you know, in doing business with you versus someone else, you're significant in their life. Your business is significant to them, and your business is significant to you because it's it's serving you on all levels of the things that are most important to you. Yeah. So along those lines, uh, you know, what makes a business significant today if you read uh, certain articles about millennials and their buying habits uh, being tied to what a business stands for? rather than just how good of a shoe they make, which is sure. what, you know, we grew up and it was like the quality and the branding um, and who got us to convince that the same exact shoe that we could get for half the price is better because it has a little Nike swoosh on the side of it. That's <laughs> how we made buying decisions. Sure. But nowadays sure. it's more and more studies are being done that given the choice between the big swooshy company and another one that's making a huge impact like every pair of shoes you buy here, we give a pair of shoes to somebody who needs it in mm -hmm. a third world yeah. country. Yeah. Yeah. More sure. decisions are being – I mean, that's part of the significance, isn't it, nowadays? Well, it, it really is. But, but, I, but I would also argue you know, um, in, in a positive way that it's really just a shift in values, right? I mean, you, you know, I think, you know, maybe 25 years ago when people were looking at Nike and those types of things, I mean, they were more inwardly focused in, in the sense that, you know, they wanted to make sure that it was about them, right, in terms of how they looked, mm. right? But, but, when you, but, but when you think about it, you know, it's really no different when someone's buying shoes from Tom's Shoes because they give something away. At the end of the day, it serves their values, right? Now, maybe our values you know, when we're, you know, uh, you know, in our teens or in our early 20s, maybe our values at that time, you know, 20 years ago, you know, was that, you know what, we wanted to make sure that we fit in from a fashion standpoint. You know, we wanted to have status, you know, we wanted to wear Air Jordans or whatever because it was important to us to stand out in such a way that it was all about us. Well, you know, as values shift yeah. and as people's tastes change, you know, sometimes it's really about 
um, serving different values, but really what you're doing is that you're serving values, right? Now, and maybe as you know, we're getting older, maybe it's because you know we're becoming more connected. Maybe it's because the millennials are are more more socially um, um, uh, adaptable and maybe more socially embracing of diversity than you know than we were. You know, they're they're looking outwardly. They're not just looking inwardly. They're not just saying, okay, this is about me. This is also about other people. This is also about the world. This is also about community. But at the end of the day, it still serves their individual values. Because if if you're doing something that doesn't serve your values, you're going to end up with a conflict. And if you end up with a conflict, you're going to end up in turmoil. If you end up in turmoil, you know, chances are you're not going to have the life you want. You're certainly not going to have the business that you want. So I don't think that there's really a difference in terms that businesses that, that succeed are able to tap into the values of their marketplace and serve those values, right? You know, when, when, when people don't have a lot of money, you know, you go back to the Depression, you go back into, you know, different times, you know, economically, you know, when people don't have a lot of money, what they do in many cases is that they may, they may see value as, as things that cost the least, right? But when people get, you know, get to a certain mm-hmm. point of, of, of financial stability or financial security or financial means, they may make different decisions. And it's not just about the least, uh, the least expensive or the least costly. It may be, it may be something else. And that thing may be, uh, maybe cost more money, but it serves their values in a different way. Right. So to them, it's actually more valuable and it's probably more cost effective because it gives them an opportunity to serve their values at a different level that perhaps something that's less expensive doesn't. You know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. You know, Starbucks had had a big pushback, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago when, when they were using the Blockbuster model. What they would do is they would identify a coffee shop that was doing pretty well and then they would pop a Starbucks in there. Right. Well, Blockbuster did the same thing. Right. Blockbuster video when they had the physical stores, how they grew is that they would find somebody who had a video shop. They got a lot of traffic and a lot of people came to it. And what they did is they put a Blockbuster right next to it. And next thing you know, they knocked the little guy out. Well, when Starbucks started doing a little bit of that as well, a lot of people pushed back and said, the heck with this. We don't want large corporations taking away our community coffee shop or our neighborhood coffee shop. So what we're going to do is that we're going to boycott Starbucks and we're going to go to independent coffee retailers, right? Well, Starbucks pretty quickly got the hint that, hey, you know what? It may be good from a, from a business standpoint in terms of business development, but in terms of the long-term value of the company and the long-term um, uh, perception of the company, going in and knocking, knocking over little coffee shops may not be the best business model. So because of that, they, they, they readjusted their business model, and people started coming back to Starbucks for, for other reasons as well. But that certainly was one because it served the community values as well because they weren't just ne- necessarily taking out somebody else. You know, what they were doing was trying to, to serve the marketplace in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I like that definition. Uh, that explanation you just gave is one that's kind of uncommon. In fact, you were the first one to do it because most of the time people would get off on it's good business to do it that way and kind of leave it at the light duty treatment of it. But you did it uh, from a values perspective and you just lumped in the doing good in the world as one of those extra new values that people are really interested in rather than making it complicated. That was good. Well, thank you. Um, I've got to switch phones here really quickly. Um, (laughs) Just bear with me for a second. Gina, do you have a question for Spike? Hold on one sec. You get it, Zach? So, Spike, what are you working on right now? Well, (laughs) you know, and and it really, really depends on the day. But but candidly, you know, this time of year is always a, is always a good time for me because I kind of gear my business back in terms of my work with clients uh, for the month of December for a couple of reasons. One is you know there's holidays and there's travel and those types of things. But also I generally take a good portion of the month of December to kind of reflect about uh, you know where I've been the last year or where I've been the last couple of years in my life and my business. And I really spend a lot of time thinking about what it is that I want to do 
uh, both in my life and my business for the upcoming year and the upcoming years. You know, so for December, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a time of, of reflection and, and projection. But also, you know, my big commitment right now is making sure that I'm finishing my book and getting some things um, uh, repositioned with my websites and, and uh, you know, just getting things um, set that I've kind of uh, subordinated to other aspects of business and other, other aspects of life and just making sure that I get back to, to some of those things. You know, uh, as much as I'd like to say I have all the answers, uh, you know, I certainly don't. I got a lot more questions than I have answers most of the time. But, but I can tell you that, you know, when I look at my own business, um, I look at it the same way I look at a client's business. And that is, you know, have I done the things that – I intended to do and have I done them in a way that, um, you know, gives me the, the greatest results and the greatest rewards possible. And if the answer is yes, I keep doing those things. And if the answer is no, then I make some adjustments. So, you know, December is always a great time of year for me to do that. And I want to make sure our listeners caught part of the wisdom that was in what you just shared. It was only a few years ago when Jack and I realized that at this time of the year, we tended to look and reflect on what had worked in business, what hadn't worked in business, and what were our goals going to be for business in the next 12 months. And a few years ago, we realized that when we've been doing it that way, our businesses ended up getting the better part of us. Our lives got the leftovers. And we went, wait a minute, we're doing this backwards. You really want to look first at life, then at business, so that life can get the better part of you and business can get the leftovers. And that's really the wisdom that you just shared, Spike. So thank you so much for that. You're very welcome. And I hear that Jack is back. Wait a minute. He says he's back. Let's see if I can find him. I bet he's muted. Hang on. Let's see. Yep, he is. There you go, Jack. Hi. (laughs) I got knocked off. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Yeah, so you guys, I was was listening to what you were just talking about, and I I love that because the the thing that I picture when I, I hear that analogy which is, you know, people are like, I want to work for myself. I want to have my company. I want to build this thing. It's a startup. I'm going to give it my all. And I'm just going to, you know, and the thing is, it'll take your all, and it'll ask for 150% more than that, too. <laughs> like, and that then when will. Gina flipped it around, when you flipped it around, it was like, it made me think of that uh, brilliant uh, uh, product, that foam that you use for insulation that you can just take in a can and inject it in a hole in your wall. And it just fills up the cavity. And when you lay out what kind of life you want, then the the business has to come in and be that foam and just fill up every, you know, nook and cranny. And and then I was like, well, wait a minute, Gina, you've got to account for the fact that business is hard sometimes and it's going to demand from you. And and that's when she would always say, yeah, but leverage. So you've got to throw away your business 101 and, and 401 books and go straight to you know, this business only has this much space and this much time for you to have the life that you want. And you can allow for sacrifice and go, all right, I'm going to, I have a launch right now. That doesn't count. I have to work my butt off. It's a launch. I got a book coming out. Things change during those things. But overall, you go back to having the life that you want and your business has to be leveraged enough that in the time and the space that you have to give to it, it performs the way you need to support the life that you want. Is that, uh, is that exciting 
to you, uh, Spike, or is that what you talk about to uh, people when you're talking about leverage and, and, and the lifestyle part of all of this? Sure, you know, it really truly is. I mean, you know, to me, you know, business, you know, should exist, you know, for, for a number of reasons, right? You know, you know, businesses, you know, deliver value and solve problems, right? I mean, you know, at, at, at the core level, that's the only reason for business to exist. They either solve a problem or they deliver value. But, but if they're not delivering value to the business owner, right, and they're not solving problems for the business owners, you know, why do they exist? I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, if, if either of you garden. I'm not a gardener. I used to garden a little bit when my kids were small just as a you know, way to spend time with them. But, you know, like when you, when you go out and you plant something, right, and you take a hoe, and if you do it manually, you know, you kind of dig a, you know, a little bit of a trench there to plant your seeds and all that stuff to, you know, get some water in there. Right, you know, and, and if that's something that you enjoy and, and it's and it's it's intended to give you a certain purpose, you know, or a certain or a certain harvest or a reap a you know, a certain crop or something like that, you know, that's very functional, right? It's actually serving your values if that's if that's what you intend to do. But if you continue to dig in that same thing, eventually it becomes a rut and it eventually becomes a grave, right? So, you know, just digging for the sake of digging, you know, might 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 be familiar, but if it doesn't serve your values and it doesn't really allow you to get the things that you want out of life and it doesn't allow you to get the things you want out of your business or the things you need out of your business what the heck are you doing it for, right? And 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 I know that sometimes you know people will push back a little bit. Well, I have to do it because if I don't do it, you know my business will go out of business and I'll starve. Well, you know that could be, but it doesn't mean you have to do what you're doing the way you're doing it forever and ever and ever, right? Being able to uh, to identify other avenues or other alternatives, but really it comes down to this at, at its simplest level. If if we know what's important to us and we know what it is that we're, that we're trying to accomplish for something. It allows us to make better distinctions and, and to make better decisions and take better actions about whether we should be doing what we're doing or whether we should be doing something else, whether we should be doing what we're doing the way we're doing it or whether we should be doing what we're doing in a different way. And ultimately, being able to have that criteria that allows us to evaluate not only the results but also the effort that we're putting into it, to me, is the difference between a business that becomes a habit and a business that becomes something that's meaningful and something that's significant. I imagine you address things like this in Book of the Soul that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about when uh, we should expect the book and where we could go find it or get on a notification yeah. list for when it comes yeah. out? Well, the the, uh, the um, um, notification site where, where people can actually opt in will be ready to go next week. Um, so people will be able to learn a little bit more about the book and actually be able to put their, their, their email address in there so they can get notifications. But, but the goal is to have the, the book finished um, before Valentine's Day. Uh, not that it's a Valentine's Day book, but it's just kind of a, a fixed deadline that I put out there. And, you know, it's one of those things that I've subordinated longer than I should have. So, I, you know, I put that out there as a hard deadline. So the book should be available uh, by, the end of, by the end of February and certainly will be available uh, online on a, on a broad scale uh, in March at the very, very latest. But really the, the book is, you know, it's a little bit about business, but it's really more about life. And, and that is, you know, how do we make distinctions and how, we, how do we make decisions about the things that, that really mean something to us, right? I mean, the better that we know ourselves, you know, the, 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 the more um, opportunity that we have to, you know, to, to be who we want to be, but also to have the life that we want to have and be able to make the decisions and take actions, whether it's in business, whether it's in relationships with other people, whether it's a relationship that we have with ourselves. And, and, you know, maybe it's the fact that just as I get older, you know, maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's one of those things that you get, um, you know, you, you, you reflect differently on life and you reflect differently on business, but life really is about life, you know, and, and to the degree that you know, you know, who you are and what's important to you and you have the ability to really pay attention to the things that work for you and pay attention to the things that are important to you. To me, you know, that really enhances the quality of your life and whether you're doing, you're making those decisions in business, you're making decisions about where you spend your time or who you spend your time with, being able to have a relationship with yourself that knows 
you know, um, who you are, what you want to do, what you want to be, and what's important to you, to me, is the difference between, um, you know, really being happy and being rewarded versus just existing and going through life because that's what you—that's what you've always done. Well, I found a way to stalk you until February to get more on this uh, book and everything that you're doing. You're on Facebook, and you can follow Spike on Facebook. Is there a particular page? Because I'm going to tell him just to go to your uh, Facebook profile and follow you. Sure, yeah. You know, I actually have a couple of pages out there, you know, Instagram, Twitter, you know, most of the social media profiles, um, you know, most of the social media sites out there have profiles out there. So I'm pretty easy to find online. So thank you. I appreciate the, appreciate the notification. Absolutely. I don't know what uh, our time situation is, Dina. I know it draws near, but are there any final words, Spike, you'd like to give everybody in light of what we talked about today? Uh, you know, and, and it's a little bit, you know, I guess in terms of what we talked about today, but it's really more about what you guys are doing, you know, and, and I really applaud you and, and commend you for what you're doing because, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in life and business, you know, we just go about doing what we do. But but being able to take the step back every now and then and being able to listen to the perspectives of, of different people and, and being able to really look at things from a leverage standpoint, you know, I think, you know, in, in many cases that, that is the difference between just getting by and being successful. So, you know, I think you really tapped into something, and I think if people look Look at um, you know what you're what you're doing with with your book and what you're doing with the website and what you're doing with um, you know the podcast and radio show. You know there's a lot of value here, and, and I th- and I certainly think that there's you know there's an opportunity for people to be rewarded um, through your work and what you're doing. So I just uh, want to thank you for the opportunity and just and tell you I think you're doing a great job. Well, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it's been I mean it's it's even beneficial to uh, be a host on this show because I get to run into people like you and ask you whatever I want. And Gina doesn't even make, I mean, she just turns me loose. She totally trusts me for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> and, uh, and I learn an awful lot. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really, really appreciate you making the time. And I believe I ran out of that stuff called time. So Gina, back to you. Thank you so much, Jack. Spike, always a pleasure there's anything Jack and I can do to help you when the book comes out, please just reach out. Okay, I will do, and thank you guys. And, and same here, if there's anything I can do to support you guys in your work and contribution as well, I'm here as well. Thank, thank you, you so much, and we'll be back same right. time, same place next week, guys. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Take care. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.